Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with another episode of our Arsenal Agenda series. Joined by Bailey. How do you mate? You good? Yeah, I'm good, TC. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Uh, it's two days till, you know, the make or break day in Arsenal season, as we've been saying for the last few weeks. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, do you, do you think it's a case of if this is anything other than a, a win, it's over, it's done? Yeah, I think now, so I think now is the case. Now we've lost ground on Tottenham in the top four. Now we're no longer, it's no longer in our hands now. If we, if we Well, do it is if we win all it our is. games. It is. <laughs> but if we're being realistic here, I don't think that, if we do win all our games, can't complain, but I don't think that's being realistic. So if we do lose against Southampton and Tottenham do pick up a win, then yeah, mm. unfortunately, I think it is over. Yeah, probably, probably is. Uh, good morning to everybody in the chat box. Hope you're doing good and welcome on to Stevie and Penny Ween joining us as well. Vinny and Lynn. Uh, and also we've got uh, so many more of you joining us on Facebook as well. Do make sure you drop a like on the video and subscribe if you are new. Uh, we kick off uh, a little bit of interesting news dropped yesterday, courtesy of an interview with Granite Xhaka uh, on the Players' Tribune. I think it was an interview which obviously highlighted so much about him as, as a character that we already knew and some stuff that we didn't. He finally publicly talked about the Crystal Palace incident and what happened in the wake of that and also about how close he was to leaving Arsenal, saying, you know, his his bags were packed, uh, tickets were bought, passports were ready, and Mikel Arteta talked him down uh, in two conversations. And, you know, it was interesting to hear about what Mikel Arteta has done behind the scenes about how he persuades players to stay. We've seen that with contracts. We've seen it with Balogun, of course, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Tini, um, Bamiang previously. Um, are you getting audio issues with my end? Can you hear me fine? I hear you fine, but it is a little bit cracky, just a little bit, but it's not too Crackly. bad. Okay, yeah. all right, we'll try and sort it out in a second. Um, talk to me about uh, what Xhaka said regarding kind of the abuse you know that he received and after that Crystal Palace situation. Yeah, of course, it wasn't, it wasn't good to see. I think players, they're human at the end of the day, just like us. We don't, you, we don't like getting abused, and why would players like getting abused? I think it's just, I think Arsenal fans sometimes they do take it a step too far. However, they were also in the right to criticise Granit Xhaka for, for what happened. I think he does deserve criticism, but there is a there is a line that is to be drawn. Sometimes fans can take it above, uh, over that and, and go beyond. And I think that is that is unfair. And it's brave of Xhaka to speak out about that because we don't know what it's like for players. You don't know, you don't know what they're going through with their family behind the scenes and where their role is and their job is to be in a spotlight 24-7 and perform day in, day out without us considering what's going on what's going on with them behind the scenes. It is, mm. it's, a, it's a huge toll for them to take. It's a huge risk and it's a lot of bravery as well. So it is, fans do sometimes abuse too much. I think they do need to take into consideration, for example, when it's unnecessary. But at the same time, criticism is deserved as well. I, the thing about the the abuse after the the, the thing during the Crystal Palace game was the booing, um, and the booing was was so uh, visceral and different to what as you know you you see teams boo. We saw booing after the game against the Brighton uh, fixture, in which you know they were clearly unhappy of what's going on. Where do you sit on on booing? Because it's a really difficult one to to break down. I wrote about this yesterday in response to the Xhaka documentary, and I said I'm, I'm on the fence because. In that moment, and I mean, I was in the ground when Jacka was, you know, when, when it happened, you know, things that were said alongside the booing were unacceptable and what was shouted from the stands was unacceptable towards him. And the booing itself was of such a visceral nature and such a disrespecting targeted attack that it made me think, yeah, you know, this, is, this isn't right. But then at the same time, on the other side of the fence, 
you know, fans, how do they show their displeasure? How do they show their frustration? That there's not really any other way, you know, in which a collective can do it. It's not, you know, you're not swearing, you're not saying awful things. It's just a negative noise. Um, so where do you sit on the idea of, of booing and what it is and, and what it isn't? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I'm with you. I'm on the fence. I think booing, I don't think that's too bad. I think words alongside that, that's that's not okay. But we're, at the end of the day, it's like you're going to a theatre, you're going to a theatre or you're looking at a performance. And if you're not happy, you've paid money to go see it. It's entertainment and you're and you're gonna this you're gonna waste your displeasure. And I don't think booing has too much disrespect to it. You go to I was thinking of teams like Real Madrid, they wave the white flag or or they boo players. I remember mm-hmm. Cristiano Ronaldo getting booed at the Santiago Bernabeu, so it happens. Yeah. I know Arsenal's done it before as well, Emmanuel Bue, I think against Wigan a few years back, and that was, that was really harsh as well. But at the end of the day, their fans, they're coming, they're paying to see good football. And if you're not performing, just like a theatre, just like back in the day, you go to ancient Greece, ancient Rome with the gladiators, they're going to boo if you're not happy and, you, and you're, <laughs> you're going to perform on the pitch, they're going to boo too. So... It's this how it's how it is, unfortunately. I love that we've managed to get an ancient Rome reference into a podcast. That <laughs> takes some doing. Uh, Jez in the chat says, I enjoyed the Xhaka interview. I actually respected that he didn't apologise at the time and I enjoyed the perspective in the interview. We need an upgrade in that position, but fair play to him. I think that's pretty much you know a rounded view of where most people, I think, are at. Is that, look, we understand um, what he's given and the benefits of owning Granite Xhaka, but if the opportunity arrives to upgrade upon him to push us forwards, I mean it'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wouldn't do that. So that's going to be one of the big things about the summer window is if we are going to go in for that central midfielder that is going to push us on to the next level in that role. And if Mikel Arteta can, you know, find that player that's going to do it, it's a testament to Xhaka how difficult that job's going to be. So whoever we end up getting, if we do, it's going to be after be a hell of a player to do so. Uh, obviously, before the game, what happens is you tend to see training pictures and videos released and... Uh, a couple of things that were noticed during first team training ahead of the Southampton game was both people that were training, quite surprisingly, with the first team and others that weren't there. What isn't a surprise is that Tommy Asu wasn't there. We were told that he'd be joining up with first team training after the Southampton game ahead of the, the Chelsea game. I doubt he'll be fit for the Chelsea game. I'd be shocked to see him in that team. But uh, who was also not there was Lacazette, Bailey. Um that's that's what's happened so far. He's not been spotted. Whether or not it's confirmed that he'll miss the game at the weekend, we don't know. Obviously, we'll find out tomorrow in Mikel Arteta's press conference, which you'll be able to watch, of course, on the channel. If he isn't available, how much of a blow is it? Because, you know, a lot of people have said he needs to be dropped. You know, we need to take him out of the team. So is him not being there too much of an issue? I think it is, personally. I think not even having him on the bench is an issue. Because if, let's say... We pay Martelli up front and it goes to completely, just completely breaks down, doesn't work. Our alternative is only Enketio and it's it's worrying. Yeah. I think, yes, I know Lacazette hasn't performed, he hasn't been getting the goals, but he does offer other things to the squad. His leadership on the pitch, his leadership in the dressing room, being around the team is important and bringing him on as a substitute might be, might be a good thing because he has started almost every game. He might need a rest. Maybe put him on the bench for a little bit would have been a good thing, but to have him as an option there... He's always helpful. At the end of the day, he did cost £50 million and he, he has scored goals in the past. So taking that away from us, which we desperately need right now, it is worrying. I think not having Lacazette in the squad, that, that does worry me. But I, I wouldn't mind to see him on the bench. I wouldn't be against that. But just not having him as an option for me is, is a worry. Yeah, me too. I think that not having him available to us is going to be... A, a hit to the mentality side of the team. Um, you know, he's a valued member of the group and him, if, even if he wasn't starting, 
uh, it's going to be a problem. I actually thought he would still start. You know, I thought even with all of the talk around we needing to drop him, needing to try something different, I just couldn't see him being dropped, to be honest. And that's why he wasn't brought off in the game against Brighton or subbed. Because, you know, even though we had a sub left, he was kept on the field. So I... I questioned whether or not he would be in the team. We'll wait and see. Um, the other player that was involved in training, interestingly, was Lino Souza, uh, who if you don't know who Lino Souza is, and he's a new name to you, he's a, a young under-23s left-back. He joined in January from West Bromwich Albion. He made his under-23s debut for West Brom at the age of 16. He is a very, very highly rated talent. Uh, he's gone into the under-18s with, with Arsenal. Uh, he then moved up to the under-23s. And in his two starts, he scored in both of those games for Arsenal's under-23s. And he's been playing very well. He also assisted Rob Holding in the game against Brentford behind the scenes during the international break with that uh, Brentford B team that we played. So he's already been playing with the first team. He's now training with the first team. Considering Tavares' situation, Bailey, Agungbo has been on the bench in the last few games as kind of the backup because we don't have Tierney. Do you think this hints towards Souza being involved in any way, or do you think it's just part of them giving him experience in training with the senior side? I think it's part of. I think it's giving him experience in, in mm. the side. I think at the moment, this stage of the season, I don't think it would be a good idea to actually bring him into the squad and start him. I think it's not the right time to suddenly throw in a young star with this much pressure. A lot of eyes will be on him. If he makes a mistake, that would be detrimental. I don't think I think we should keep the first team how it is, even though I think he's got a lot of potential. I don't think it's the right time just to just to throw in a youngster like this in this situation, especially at left back where it's highly scrutinized at the moment. So I think Arteta is bringing him in training just for experience and just going from there. I don't think he'll be in the in the first team squad though. I don't think it's it's right. But saying that, I think of how it's happened in the past. I think of Aaron Rambisaka at Crystal Palace. Um Joel Ward was injured mm. and they had no other alternative. So they threw Ramsaka right back and look how that turned out for him. So you can look at it that way, but I wouldn't risk it. I think I'd, I'd keep the first team my ears and I hope Arteta is thinking the, the same way too. Yeah, I, I think that it would be a huge risk to throw him yeah. in. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the bench. You know, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, Agungbo has not made his debut yet. Um, but it would be a bit of a hit to him uh, as well, being you know usurped in the pecking order without even really be given opportunity either. But he is highly rated. This kid, you know, he's someone that they they were really desperate to sign in January uh, and managed to get it done. And he signed that professional contract, and he's got a big future. And if you think Bakaya Saka made his debut at 17, started playing left back, you know, in his late teens as well. So it's not like we wouldn't be doing something we've not done before. Mikel Arteta played. I think it was Saka played at left back in the in the draw with uh, Everton when he was in the stands. I think that Saka was at left back during that game. So it's not something that's going to be alien. Um, it's not something that would be wildly uh, surprising, but there would be a little bit of shock definitely to see him, at least in the squad. If he starts, that's huge. But uh, yeah, to be in the squad, it's not surprising considering we've barely been able to fill a senior side in the bench of late, to be honest. Um, before we wrap up, we're going to take some of your questions from the chat box. Um, let's go through Schrodinger's cat flap says if we finish outside of Europe and what I would count as Europe is the top six because you know conference league and Europe does Arteta have to go yeah questions have to be asked I don't know if he has to go but questions serious questions what does that mean questions need to be asked do you want to leave no I don't want to <laughs> okay I'll stay but what does it what does that mean you know Look. 
it questions needs it depends how we finish outside of Europe. If we completely collapse now towards the end of the season, then yes, I think I'd be honest, I'd be questions, serious questions would have to be asked. But again, really I was gonna relate this back to you. See, I remember <laughs> I remember we had the convo about offering Arteta a new contract. This is why I think it's good to wait until the end of the season mm. rather than offering it a couple of weeks ago, because now we'd have been in a situation where if we do completely collapse, it would have been to- a very toxic atmosphere, to say the least. I if he if he finish if we finish outside the top six, I don't think there's any argument about changing the coach. I really don't think I, I wouldn't be asking questions. I'd be you know packing suitcases at that point because you can't you can't finish outside the top six three well two and a half seasons yeah, in a true. row, true. Um, especially considering the amount we've spent and the progression that's being made behind the scenes. I can appreciate everything that's gone on behind the scenes at the club, like the changes in. Um, recruitment, the changes with the connection between the fans and the players and the coaching staff, the way in which we are operating in the transfer market, winning an FA Cup in 2020, you know, reducing the wage bill, reducing the the age profile of the squad, all things that needed to be done. But if consistent coaching errors are being made, you know, you can't you you can't say that no other coach or manager couldn't do also do some really good things behind the scenes and then improve on what is going on from a coaching perspective. I, I don't want that to happen. I want Arsenal to succeed this season. I want us to get into the top four, or at minimum get into the top six. Because for me, top four would be a new contract. Top six would be, I'm going to hold off on a new deal. I'm going to wait until the end of next season or just partway through next season to see how next season's going. And of course, with the transfer window as well, before I make a decision. Because my expectation at the start of the season was top six. Um, and so I can't, I'm not going to get rid of the coach for finishing where I thought we would finish, but I would for finishing below from where I thought we would finish and where contextually I thought we should finish. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, Sam says, should Rob Holding be given a role to uh, to the end of the season to steady the defence and balance the squad? Yeah, I've said Holding, uh, Gabriel, Ben White at right back, Cedric at left back. Really? Not Tavares? I'll prefer Tavares, but in, in games such as Chelsea... Games against Chelsea, games against Spurs. Back three. Wait, back three possible. I just don't like changing the system too much. That's my <laughs> issue. Changing the system is a bit too too much towards the end of the season. Well, well we played Xhaka at left back because we didn't change the system. <laughs> That's, that was our title. That was, I would not have played right. Xhaka at left back at all. But yeah, no, I'd, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a back three. I just think it's a bit too late in the season. It does make sense. But I'd rather just see Cedric at left back, Benoit at right back and holding Gabriel. Mm. Dom says, do you stand by your opinions in the January transfer window? Are we paying the price for failing to bolster the squad? I maintain the point that not panicking was important. And, you know, that's always a positive. But I always said that getting rid of Aubameyang and not replacing the goals was a huge failure and was a huge problem um, that, that we didn't do. And there were strikers that moved throughout this window that could have been brought in on a short-term basis, you know, just to cover and give us a little bit of depth. Or go out and try and find a young promising forward you can get on a cheaper price it's going to offer more than Eddie and Ketia or it's at least different kind of stylistically to what Lacazette is that's where we messed up that's why we didn't and obviously not going for a midfielder I feel like Bruno Gimaraes was very gettable as shown by Newcastle uh, Artur if we'd have maybe gone in a little bit harder and maybe accepted that two-year loan proposal which I don't think is all that bad to be honest if you're seeing Elneny move on in the summer and Maitland-Niles move on in the summer, is really replacing those two with an Arter for, t- for a two-year loan deal with an option at the end of that. Is that really a big deal? It doesn't prevent you from signing a big midfielder in the summer, I don't think. So those were my issues with that window, and I'd stand by that criticism. Do you still look back at the January window as thinking about the point that could cost us in the end top four? 
Yeah, I completely agree. And again, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I think if we was still thriving right now, if we beat Brighton and we beat Crystal Palace, yeah. and would be Partey and Tini and Tommy Asu yeah, were still fit, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. It's all about ifs and buts and hindsight. So now we're in the situation, you do think, oh, if only we'd have strengthened in the January transfer window. But it is what it is. Yeah. I think we'll look, but again, it was a great chance to really propel and really fight for the top four places with much more strength, but sorry, being much more stronger. But it is what it is. Uh, Unbiased says, what's your prediction for the Southampton away game? And Axel follows this up by saying, ha good try, brother. They will tell you to go and watch the preview show. Of course we will, because we'll be producing a team predictor for that. Why would we ruin that juicy content here? <laughs> so you're going to have to wait for the team predictor show before we go through uh, our lineups. But well done, Axel, for getting with the program. Uh, Sam says, system's not working just now, though, in my opinion. We are being found out. Writer's interview on Askblog was spot on about this. He raises a good point. You don't want to change the system too much, Bailey, but the Bailey, but the Bailey, but the system, <laughs> Bailey's not working. The system's not working. How do you feel about that? The Bailey is always working now, but I think, <laughs> look, the game against... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. No, in the innuendo there, TC, look. I, I wasn't think... saying that. Why have you gone down that road? No, I think Crystal Palace, <laughs> the game against Crystal Palace, it was an anomaly. I think it was just a poor performance in general by every single player, so it yeah. couldn't really be the system. And in the game against Brighton, it was the personnel who Arteta chose. chose. I don't think it was... I don't think it was correct playing Shaka at left back and then Samuel Conga on his own alongside Erdogan and Smith Rowe. If you had better personnel in there, which was possible, then I reckon we'll see different results. I think try it again, get some hope about better personnel, please. Arteta. Uh, Axel says, for me, it's a time to mix it up drastically. Look at Chelsea after two losses, changed it up versus Southampton, played great against Real Madrid. Try Martinelli, play a back three, Saka at left back or left wing back, do whatever. You know, I'm, I've always been, and I've been saying it for a number of weeks, go to the back three. The back three for me will give us the foundation that we need. It'll move Xhaka back into the midfield. We've got the wing backs. Tavares would be given the security to do what he does best, which is to go forwards. I think Saka at right wing back isn't necessarily a bad option because it means that you can play Erdegaard kind of on the right-hand side of the three and then he still maintains that relationship with Saka. I think there's plenty that we can do um, with, with the system and the players that we've got available as well. My, um, my issue with that, let's say on. quickly, let's say we play Holden, Gabriel, Ben White, mm -hmm. and we start thriving in the back three, and then one of the yeah. three centre-backs get injured. We just haven't got a replacement at all. Maybe Tommy Yassi, will he be fit? We don't know. Yeah, well, I suppose well, Tommy Yassi is meant to be coming back. So mm. there's that. I think you're right. I think the other option is then, you know, you'd move Elneny into Xhaka's position and Xhaka goes to left centre-back and Gabriel plays in the middle. That's the only other thing I can think of doing. But you're right in saying that without him. But we've only got eight games left, yeah, you sure. know. Um, so I don't necessarily think going to a back three, it would be the end of the world, especially with the way holding has been when in a back three. He's been absolutely solid. So, yeah, I'd say give us the foundation back and, and try and push forward from there. Bailey, thank you so much, mate, as always, coming on the show. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, TC and guys in the comments section. Absolutely. If you could drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel, we really would appreciate it. Gina, thank you so much for helping out in the background as always. And uh, we will see you again very, very soon. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way.